Peter, you're back on the podcast again. You're becoming a recurring guest here. What's going on? Are you excited for today's show? Favorite match of all time? Buzzing for today's show. I actually uh, feel like the cane of the podcast to the phenom of Spud. It's becoming, <laughs> uh, like I say, a reoccurring thing now. I think I'm three and three for these kind of uh, wrestling related podcasts. Buzzing. Yeah, really looking forward to it, mate. I've dredged uh, a head full of knowledge for an interesting match for us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And the match you want to talk about is what? Tell the listeners. So, obviously, I, I, as I said, I've looked through uh, a back catalogue of things that I can talk about, you know, for years and years and years uh, as a quick answer to a question of what's your favourite match. It's always been... Triple H versus Undertaker at WrestleMania 17. But I actually gave this some time when you approached me and said, hey, we're going to do an episode about favourite matches. What what do you want to talk about? Talk about the build-up, talk about the, the lay of the match, the way the match went through. There was only really one thing that came to my head straight away, other than obviously my immediate answer. And it was Terry Funk's retirement match from Rest- Terry Funk's WrestleFest in 1997, no disqualification, Terry Funk versus the World Wrestling Federation champion, Brett the Hitman Hart. Yeah, huge match. His retirement, WrestleFest 97, insane. Question for you. You are a Terry Funk fan. A lot of our listeners and a lot of even the guys I have on really started watching WWE or WWF or even WCW around the sort of 97, 98, 99 mark onwards. Terry Funk obviously is a huge name in professional wrestling, but at that particular time maybe wasn't as well known as some of the others, just based on how the how maybe the business was going. Why Terry Funk? Well, it's interesting really because I fall into that same bracket as you guys. You know, I mean, obviously, I know in past episodes I've said you know memories cast back to '92 and things like that, but Terry wasn't around in in '92 in the WWF. You know, he wasn't even on uh, WCW when that was available over here. You know, his first stint in the WWF was in 1986, I believe, when he was tagging with Dory, and Dory was called Hoss, and they were the uh, the Funk Brothers. So he wasn't really around. What really did it for me was me and a friend uh, at high school, uh, his name was Paul, Paul Fitz, great guy. We used to talk about wrestling all the time, and during IT... We'd go on all of the sites and one thing and another. And, and a website, really, that I have grew up with for news and one thing and another, the dirt sheets, quote-unquote, not you, Dave, um, was <laughs> Lords of Pain. Now, Lords of Pain has obviously now changed to wrestling headlines or wrestling news. But I grew up with it you know, from 14, 15, 16. I was crushed 
quite recently when they changed to Wrestling News. I even tweeted them about it. I was like, guys, you've broken my childhood. But they advertised a, D, uh, a VHS, and it was a behind-the-curtain, more or less, VHS. Uh, it's a very well-known independent wrestling film. Uh, I'm pretty sure you've saw it yourself. If anybody's listening and you haven't saw it, I implore that you go out and buy it, look on YouTube. It's available on DVD. It's definitely on YouTube because I've watched it myself on there today. It's called Beyond the Map. It was by an independent filmmaker called Barry Blaustein, and he literally broke the fourth wall with that video. And it exposed things to, to myself, you know, and my friend Paul and millions and millions of other people across the decade since it's been out the decade of things that we never knew before. You know, it gave me my first exposure to independent wrestling, to APW, to uh, guys trying out and being signed for the WWE, how the process works. It uh, exposed me to ECW, which in and of itself exposed me to Terry Funk. Yeah. And then from there, obviously, you were exposed to Terry Funk. You obviously went back, seen some of his stuff, looked into him, read his books, looked into his heritage, looked into his the wins, the NWA title wins, and on and on and on it goes. But here you have Terry Funk versus someone who is considered a GOAT by a lot of people, someone who is in that GOAT conversation. Well, both are, respectively, in, in different ways. But here you have Bret Hart versus Terry Funk, WrestleFest 97. This is your all-time favourite or definitely up there for you. Talk to me about WrestleFest 97. The, the, the first thing that I love now as a 34-year-old man about WrestleFest 97 was this was one of maybe five or six retirements for Terry Funk. You know, that, that guy's itch could never stop being scratched. It was unreal. Um, I'm pretty sure that if his health was in a greater condition now, he'd still probably be in Japan working six months now. Um <laughs> You know, off the back of uh, Beyond the Mat, um, you know, there's there's a lot of footage, you know, about Terry in Beyond the Mat. Obviously, around the time of the filming of the documentary, help, it's the build-up to ECW's first pay-per-view, and it shows you just how influential you know, Terry Funk was to the the build-up and the initial setup of ECW. And there's a famous scene there for me, and he's in the doctor's office, and they've got scans of x-rays and things on on the uh, black boxes, the light boxes of his knees, and the doctor's saying, you know, your, your right knee, you know, you've got moderate um, you know, gener- generative arthritis, you know, you should be able to get by the rest of your life just in chronic pain. Uh, talk about his left knee, and there, you know, it's, there is no space between bone top of your leg and the bottom of your leg you've got moderate to severe degenerative arthritis there is no kneecap there's no cartilage you're just bone on bone and he's just sat there saying well you know if i put it off can i um can i live the rest of my life comfortably they say to him you shouldn't be living comfortably now and (laughs) it was things like that that really kind of hooked me into him i know that's kind of going back to the previous question but it built the drama and the suspense for this match obviously on that dvd was where he officially announced his retirement and the show and then i went out of my way to get the the dvd so i could watch the full match and honestly it's a match that if you're 
a wrestler or a budding wrestler or somebody that's got interest in something other than the modern product, I would implore you to watch because the psychology within this match is absolutely outstanding. The build, you know, the build-up to it is that Terry Funk, it's his last match. He's going out on a high. He's wrestling the World Wrestling Federation champion. I mean, on this card, you know, there's some stellar, you know, stellar people from WCW, WWF, ECW, you know, things that promoters couldn't do, he did. But that match with Brett was unbelievable. It started with, you know, them both coming out to the ring. Obviously, Terry was seconded by Dory Funk, a Brett initially, I will say initially before I move on, came out on his own. Yeah. And, you know, Terry Funk, gay, uh, Paul Heyman and the ECW guys came out, made a big uh, schmaz about ECW and how without Terry Funk it wouldn't be a thing. And they then presented him with a replica of the ECW belt, gave it to him as a lifetime achievement. And then Brett took the stick. Now, there's an interesting point about Brett timeline within this match yeah in in a dirty auditorium with four thousand people in it in 1997 Patsy, it was only two months before brett would get quote unquote screwed out of the world wrestling federation championship yeah and would be left and would be gone from the wwe for, for decades it, it, it's crazy honestly when you think about, i don't know i said decades there obviously it wasn't decades or what did we say 97 to, to when he came back yeah uh, in the late in the late tens of the twos you know he cut a promo and to be fair the promo was very sincere if you've ever read brett's book Potsy, i know you've just uh, finished reading it or you're coming to the end of it yeah now. i'm finished but yeah brett, brett right it's a great book isn't it it's phenomenal it's you know, uh, brett, it's probably the best wrestling book i've ever read Brett writes in that book with affection, as he mentioned in this promo, about, you know, going to the boys' club that Terry Funk's dad, uh, Dory Sr., wrote, sorry, um, held in Amarillo uh, as a child. You know, he'd be sent down there and have some good memories and fond memories down there, you know, and he respects Terry Funk. He was honoured to be there, obviously, when he took the stick straight away. That, that venue was full of smart fans. Yeah. Um, you know, so hear, hear me out, hear me out. And the minute he said, I'm honoured to be here, the crowd flipped and changed straight away. And, you know, it was, you know, all the best with your retirement. Congratulations on your lifetime achievement. And then Brett did something that even in this day and age, even if you're not doing a neutral promo to, you know, to show respect and homage to your opponent who's having his last match, he did something that doesn't always get done these days. These days and it was a genius tactic. He closed out his line by quoting, uh, for, by me saying that he was going to give Terry Funk a, quote, Canadian ass-whooping. And the crowd started to boom him out of the building. And right away at the start of that match, he reaffirmed that he was the heel in that contest. And, I mean, you know, you, you've obviously watched it yourself today, Potsy. You know, it was, it was from, a science, from a psychology point of view, it's a fantastic match. You know, what they start with, collar and elbow you know they spend the first five to eight minutes of the match just feeling each other out yeah you know, at that point in time terry funk's 53 years old you know brett's 40 you know there's no it was a weird time obviously within within the industry there obviously people were defined by age you know whenever when terry funk eventually did come up after ironically this retirement match uh, you know, he was always referred to as being middle-aged and crazy. They were always mentioned in his age. 
Obviously, Brett's exit from the WWE at 40 was based on his age, which is ironic considering now AJ Styles is like 44 years old. Um, <laughs> but that was the era we were in. And to me, it was two veterans trying to figure out who was going to come out on top, or who could start and lead this contest. And, you know, it started with the collar and elbow. There was a lot of corner work. There was a lot of ground work. There was a lot of pushing and pulling. And then Brett obviously led in with the charge. From, so from a psychology standpoint, Brett knew what he was doing because he went straight for Terry Funk's knees. You know, you only have to watch Terry Funk walk to know that his knees were his primary target. Yeah. The master, the master of the sharpshooter knew what he was going for straight away. And it was a good, strong lead into the contest. Yeah, and it, it progressed all the way through. It wasn't like he would work on his knees and then randomly start attacking his shoulder or do like, you know, a backbreaker or something. He purposely worked the legs, he worked the knees, he put on the figure four, he put the knee into the rope, he jumped down on top of it. There was so much in-depth of psychology of thinking this is a story we're going to tell that this man can't really walk anymore and I'm going to put a bullseye on that knee and I'm just going to attack it and attack it and attack it. Absolutely. You know, but there were little things on Terry's side why why Brett was obviously on the heat. There were little things from Terry's side that, again, are things... And, and I am going... Guys, if you're listening... Uh, I am going to be talking about psychology a lot because these are the things that I pick out from from these matches that are things that I don't see a lot of anymore. When Brett was going for the knees, Terry was deflecting away. When Terry was getting up or was, and Brett was picking him up, Terry was attacking Brett. Terry was always trying to get Brett off him. Uh, and that psychology was big. Obviously, there were moments where Brett was beating Terry for a while Terry was beating Brett for a while. One of the big things that I did uh, pick up after watching, I mean, to be fair, in all honesty, it's the first time I've watched the match for a long time. And like anything where you watch things multiple times, you see different things. I totally neglected to remember that goddamn Bruce Hart was at ringside. <laughs> How could you forget Bruce. screaming the whole match? I mean, I wouldn't mind if he was just screaming. Patsy. He, was not, he was screaming down the microphone. If Bruce Hart will do anything to get himself over, it's unreal. Uh, Stu was there in, in his wheelchair. And there was another Hart brother. And I was saying to you off, off air, I couldn't picture who it was. It wasn't big enough to be Keith. And Google yeah. images, it looked like Ross. So I assumed it may well have been Ross. Which was interesting, obviously, because Brett walked out on his own. But that, like I said, and you, as you know from reading the book, that kind of connection between the Funks from Amarillo and the Hearts from Calgary and the and the Boys Club and one thing and another, two big iconic families coming together. It was good to see Stu and some of the other brothers uh, there. And I mean, it was a clinic. Yeah. You know, there was. It was. I mean, I think I clocked at one point. It went. 55 minutes you know and like I said the guy's 53 years old and it was okay it's my last match I'm going out on a high I'm wrestling the World Wrestling Federation champion which at that point was you know the elite title to have and he's holding Brett to two counts or no submissions 
for over 50 minutes. And yeah. the favourite... Yeah. And what, what did you think about the finish? I think that it's the best, it's the best way to go. You know, it was, uh, so for those of you that aren't, maybe aren't going to watch this uh, match, if we haven't sold it to you enough already, um, Terry gave Brett a back body drop, just a simple back body drop. Ref went down for, for a count. One, two, Brett lifted his right shoulder up and the ref counted for three. Terry's shoulders were down. Brett won the contest. I'm getting goosebumps, literally, as I talk about it, mate. I know you can't see them. I know this is a video, but honestly, it, that's the power of, of that contest. Terry went out on his back. If, you know, it, it realistically, it was, you know, it, it's the only way to go. You know, you put in, in an, in an, in the, in ironic terms, it was, because it was on a different scale, you know, it wasn't like a big, grand WWE event. It wasn't used like, what's an example I can give you, like a Kurt Angle to Baron Corbin yeah. to, to put the younger guy over. You know, it didn't mean anything in that respect. But from a legacy perspective, from a history perspective, from a pure wrestling standpoint, it meant everything. And I think that would have, that was the way that Terry Funk would have wanted it. Yeah, and it's interesting, Nick. I, I, we've talked about Brett's book throughout this podcast he talks about that match in it how he loved that match how how he thought it was brilliant how it would be in his one of his best matches ever and having watched a lot of the old wrestling product during sort of covid and quarantine and stuff like that i i've come to realize i've always thought brett to be very good i've come to realize how good he really was and when you watch this match i do put it up there as one of his best ever it is phenomenal Absolutely, without a shadow of doubt. And without a shadow of doubt. From a storytelling, from a psychology, from from a, just a wrestling perspective, this was outstanding. And we what talked you? about it when you, maybe you compare it to the modern stuff; it's totally different. But from a storytelling, from a psychology point of view, these are ten out of tens. In this match, you know, you look at certain matches and. Even some of my favourite matches, I would maybe rank it in terms of a story town, like a 9 out of 10 and stuff like that. This is a 10. The psychology's a I mean, 10. The story's a 10. Phenomenal. Crowds into it. I mean, it's, only... it's, it's hard to find anything about this match to say that it wasn't good. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm glad that it's something that I brought to, to the conversational table. I know you'd never seen it before, and I know you really enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope uh, the other fellas, you know, I hope Neil would watch it as well and and they enjoy it as much as I did. I mean, if if you could kind of relate it in in modern terms, which isn't really that modern now on reflection when you think about it, I would maybe put it up in something that people can watch in terms of the storytelling aspect and the generalisation of it. It would be Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels. Yeah. In terms of that old guy that is clawing for that one last victory who ultimately fails in his attempt to continue. Yeah. And, and, and you know, not obviously talking about that match because that's not the one that we've uh, come to talk about, but in parallels, which is ironic considering it's Brett and Sean. Yeah. And Terry and, Terry and Rick who had yeah. their thing. It, it was, yeah, both, but, you know, the one in particular, Brett and Terry, it's just great. And, 
yeah, it it was a pleasure rewatching it again today, so we could talk about it together today. Yeah, absolutely. I had a lot of fun just watching it for the first time and seeing how good, how talented these two really were, especially when put together. And um, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure as always, and I just want to thank you for your time today. You're most welcome. It's always a pleasure uh, being on the show. If you want to chat to me, I'm on Twitter. You can find me at Here It's Different. Thanks, guys. Spud, welcome back to the podcast. You're back again. The streak, as we've said so many times, continues. And another guest this morning has referred to himself as the Cain to your undertaker. What's going on? Who was that? Dare I I ask? (laughs) You'll see Uh, when the podcast drops. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I mean, I'm happy enough to have a Cain if I'm at that level in the podcast. You know, I'm doing something right. <laughs> the main event there, the streak, the phenom, the most man. important streak in wrestling. <laughs> Spud, today's topic: favorite match or a match that stands out to you. You've told me what you've picked. I love it. Brilliant period in wrestling for mm-hmm. the month or so in terms of the build-up. What have you got? The aftermath, not so good. We'll talk. We'll touch on that. What have you got? Why have you got it? Tell me. The shortest and best period of the 2010s, uh, it's CM Punk and John Cena at Money in the Bank 2011. I was dipping in now, like I've always said. I was really bad, but I would, I'd always liked Punk. I remember seeing his ECW vignettes and stuff like that. I was like, this guy actually looks interesting. And he's got Pepsi on his arm. I completely fell out of wrestling. I think us ones were all getting together and watching the at the fly at this sort of time. I don't know if that correlates, but we were definitely watching rumbles and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't watching it week to week, except when punk went on to commentary at the start of that year, the end of the previous year. So just because I was so like drawn to him, I'd always liked him as a character. Then I heard about the pipe bomb and had it sky plus. I had it taped TiVo'd, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And, uh, watched the pipe bomb and i'm like oh my god this is actually a big deal for the first time in about 10 years something's actually actually matters and it feels real yeah um so from the the pipe bomb then the match happened way too quickly and everything sort of unraveled but like you said at the start that period that month it was like genuinely exciting to be a wrestling fan again probably since literally 10 years previous with yeah. the invasion so uh yeah loved it loved the whole build-up uh, punk was a star cena was a star uh mcmahon i don't think mcmahon really was needed in it but you know it was what it was um yeah fantastic match fantastic build yeah before and we, a great but, match as well just before you touch on the match i just want to touch on something you said there when you said you thought mcmahon wasn't needed they seem to have a tendency I mean, you can maybe respond to this before we actually touch about the match. But WWE seem to have a tendency to, when something gets good or when lightning's in a bottle, when something just works or it clicks, and like this one, for example, Punk's pipe bomb and Punk being red hot, 
you have Becky Lynch and her turn and her reinventing herself as the man and just doing her thing. When something gets red hot, they always feel the need to kind of overdo it and get too much of stuff going on in it and around it and about it. And it seems to unravel very, very quickly. Well, they've still got it in their heads about the whole uh, authority figure. Literally from 1997, we've been doing the whole runaround. The most successful feud they've ever had probably is Austin McMahon. Yeah. And they've just constantly been trying to recreate it. Even SmackDown a couple of years ago with Shane McMahon. Yeah. Uh, he started taking over. Stephanie's always floating about telling the women that they're useless on the big screen every now and again. Yeah. So I do think they overdo it. And apart from anything else, I think that there's a narcissistic thing with especially Vince where he does see I'm going to get punted by Randy Orton. This is red hot. I'm going to get ran over by Stone Cold. This is red hot. You know, I think he likes ever since he came to the front of the camera, he's loved it. And he is more over than most of the quote unquote superstars that they've got at the minute. So it was more, it was more the him adding on that Cena got sacked. That's what annoyed me. It didn't need that. You could have had the contract signing with uh, CM Punk and Vince. That was all good stuff. Yeah. But whole, you're going to get fired if you don't do it. We'll bring back Punk, but on one caveat, it's like he didn't. He didn't miss a week, I don't think. Yeah. Like he never did around that time. So I just thought it was added spice on an already spicy sort of chicken wing. You know what I mean? It was just overkill. Um, it's one of those things too. I mean, you talked about like the Cena thing and it just not being needed and if you don't win you're fired not being needed it was almost you know that stipulation always throws me back to or in in, in this case because we're going 2011 pushes me forward and the wrestlemania 29 the the lesnar triple h street fight and all of a sudden when triple h is like if i don't beat you my career is over or your career's on the line or whatever it was from Heyman, it's like oh you've just ruined the outcome but yeah this one they didn't because they they had the Cena get fired, but the ironic thing was he didn't miss an episode on Raw, and was it either the next night on Raw or two weeks later on Raw, Rey Mysterio won a tournament to become the new champion, and then Cena, a la Hulk Hogan of was it WrestleMania nine, comes out and beats, it, yep. and beats him for the title when you're supposed yeah. to be fired. It just it sort of just became ugh very quickly. This is what I mean. It's it's like lightning in a bottle, and they couldn't wait to smash it against the wall. And uh, not only that, they dragged poor Ray in just to be a loser for a night. Yeah. Like he held it. He won it at the like midway through the night, and then lost it the same night to John. Yeah. John, me and John are best mates. John Cena. <laughs> but it's like, why do that? Why bring CM Punk back two weeks? Why did he he miss a week? He wasn't sacked, but the guy that was sacked didn't. It's yeah, they they weren't expecting it. They weren't expecting the success. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, looking back, it was it, people were talking about it again. Yeah. Like Facebook was talking about it. People were sharing it, and I'm like, this. I don't know if this is real or not. You know, like the Pat McAfee and Adam Cole. Yeah. You sent me the link, and I'm like, that's fake. Yeah. Straight away, you just knew. They cut his mic off, and I'm like, oh right, he was about to call Vince. Uh, a billion stuff that's actually he said ring of ring of honor oh big deal and all this yeah so it felt real and 
I was in my twenties at this point. It was like refreshing. I was back yeah. to being a kid again. Yeah, and we, we we talked about it felt real. There was the even the entrances to this match. It had a real feel in the context of even a boxing fight or UFC fight where someone's a hometown guy and the other person's just getting destroyed. Those entrances and the crowd reaction to both Punk and Cena, it it really did have big fight feel and it did feel somewhat of a reality type thing just because of how partisan the crowd was. Uh, It felt like McGregor. It, it actually felt like McGregor walking into Dublin. <laughs> uh, it was that it was that big, and then no matter who they were against, they're going to get booed. And I always compare this entrance. I like John Cena. He didn't do the salute. He just yeah. walked down, got in the ring, was shadow boxing, which I've never really seen him do. But he was just like wasting time and all. The other one was the ECW one, yeah, uh, where he was getting booed out of the building, and he just came in with his belt above his head i wish he had done that he was just defiant putting his head yeah. down didn't care what i'm the champ i'm the champ yeah. this one he looked sort of proper panicked and worried yeah and a wee bit nervous but yeah big fight feel and um, the crowd made this made this entire night never mind just the match yeah you've talked to me before about this week actually about this pay-per-view actually being a good pay-per-view because of the crowd but this match especially, this was a, a very good match that became a brilliant match. And as you said, the crowd, the drama, the storytelling, the build-up, lightning in a bottle. What about this match drew you, apart from the crowd? Was You enjoyed the actual match, the work between the two wrestlers? Yes. Uh, I mean, I watched it back there for the first time in a long time. Today, actually. And just to get a refresher, it's a bit sloppier than I remember. There is a lot of mistakes. You have Punk falling on his on his ass when he's doing like the, you know, stand on your feet after an AA. Yeah. You know that reversal kind of thing. And there was a couple of times they were like tripping over each other and the dives didn't look. But it didn't matter. It yeah. didn't matter because of the crowd, because of the story. CM Punk was on fire. He looked like he wanted. They did like a suplex onto the outside from inside the ring. That never happens. Yeah. Uh, they always tried little things. Um. I just everybody's shouting that Cena can't wrestle. By this point, that was a non-factor. He could. Yeah. Some of the some of the moves his STF looks awful, but the reversal he got into the STF looks amazing. You know, he has to work on some stuff. Yeah. But you shouldn't say he doesn't wrestle. And CM Punk played up there at the start as well. He was very cocky at the start, and he looked like he was enjoying himself the entire time as well. Yeah. Until towards the end, where they're proper like raging, they can't get the win over each other. But I just, it just felt real. Like I said, I can sort of predict. Uh, I predicted that whole NXT thirty. Yeah. Um, except the ladder match. Actually, I picked the wrong ladder match guy. But I just, I can sort of look at a card and go, right, okay, this, this, and this is going to happen because it's WWE and that's what they do. Yeah. This is the first time in a long, long time, that I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. And what happens if he does leave? And then that night, he took a picture of the title in his fridge. Yeah. I was like, what? what's going on? It's yeah. like, you did not know. That's what drew me in. Yeah. To go back to one of the points you made earlier, it was a little bit sloppier than what you remember. And I touched on this 
on a previous podcast and um, one of the wrestling childhood memories one and i believe it was my conversation with neil where i talked about when certain wrestlers at times can do stuff and it doesn't look great and it doesn't look amazing and it does look a little silly and a little phony and a little stupid but because of who that person is and how over their character is it doesn't matter and that was clearly the case here with with Cena and Punk with some of the sloppiness and some of the little maybe little mix-ups and little botched moves and stuff like that but also to that point I I prefer it like that I prefer that reality that realness rather than maybe what we see now where the camera would cut it and then they would do it again and then yeah. you can actually visibly see the cut on the screen when you're watching a pay-per-view. Yeah, exactly. I, I prefer that realness. But you talked about the realness of it is what drew you sort of back in at this period of time. The, I would like you to talk to me a little bit about maybe even looking back now, fantasy booking, what you think should have happened with Punk because... I have a concept in my head where I would have said, Punk, we're going to actually pay your salary. You're going to pretend you don't work for us. And you're going to show up in Ring of Honor. You're going to show up in indie shows. You're going to get bookings on indie shows. And you're going to walk out with the WWE title. And we're going to bring you back around the Royal Rumble time. And when the winner wins the Rumble, you're going to walk out and hold the belt up or something like that. That was something that I felt they could have had for a long period of time. They could have drew that out for a huge WrestleMania match. That's just my opinion. What would you have done different? Obviously, you're going to say quite a lot from what they've done, but what would you have done? Uh, Just what you said there, man. No, it was... was, uh, He made an appearance at Comic-Con, I think, in that couple of weeks that he went missing. And that was just adding to it. You're right, if they hadn't done it, like he was gone for two weeks, maybe. Uh, Just the longer you did it, if you drag it out until the rumble, awesome. You've got literally four months of him with John Cena still on the belt, like going to ROH, going over to Japan. That'd be nuts. Yeah. Um, it's it's obvious. Or just don't do what you did. <laughs> you know, say if you want him to come back next month at SummerSlam because it's your second biggest pay per view, have him come back next month, but don't have him wrestle. Yeah. Have him sit in the like, front row. <laughs> sit in the front row. Like have him just appear with the belt at the end with the new music instead of doing it on the raw a couple of weeks before. And it, literally, you picked out. I think me and you have talked about that a couple of times, and that's the only idea I've really got in my head yeah. is just keep him off for as long as possible, and don't screw over Ray for no reason. <laughs> you just <laughs> bury Ray. Ray. Just no reason to... That's his only WWE run. Yeah. Ray was... Awful. Ray was what? Brad Hart of WrestleMania 9. You're just here to get sort of <laughs> yeah. screwed over, sort of laughed at. Poor guy. Yeah. But... Oh, he's only got one eye. <laughs> Do you know what I will say? Do you know, looking back as well, just very quickly, and I'll touch on it, later with you but like the commentators were awful yeah. <laughs> yes yeah, I, yeah. I said I, that you annoyed me when yeah. I watched it back now see because you you text me and says they're very down on punk see if you watch the first promo at the start of the pay-per-view they were building punk up to be a heel they thought everybody's got I don't know why they picked Chicago to do it but they were <laughs> like this guy's trying to take away your 
WWE belt. Are you going to cheer for your WWE? And it's like, yeah, we are. He's from here. We know the crack. He lives up the road from me. <laughs> it's like, and the boring, just going, well, you know, uh, Booker T just laughing every now and again. This is meant to be the biggest match in WWE history. Yeah. And they're going, oh, I just, I just can't see either of them winning. And then Booker T just laughing. And every time <laughs> Cena gets a move on Punk, King's like, woohoo, tap out Punk. It's like, that, that's not the way you should be yeah, it getting did. on. I, I love this match. I love the crowd. I love everything about it. I love the story. But the commentary does annoy me. I think it's it's too silly and too phony. And it undermines the seriousness of what this should and could have been to make it even bigger. Booker T at one point just says, I'm exhausted. But, like, didn't do it like, this match is, like, so tense. Oh, my God. You know, like, Maro, Ronaldo. Yeah. He literally just went, I'm exhausted. Like, he just sounded fed up. Booker T, he's had enough. Yeah, right, we're nearly done, big man. Just wait. <laughs> but yeah, I... This is uh, Booker T being exhausted two hours and 40 minutes in to a pay-per-view. Imagine Booker T in seven-hour WrestleMania now. Booker T sort of left halfway through, put his headset down, guy. he's done. Also, one very, very... Another way the famous sign is if Cena wins, we rap. Yeah. See one that I saw... <laughs> that's really really not famous but i hope it is soon yeah is cm punk is going to muay thai kick cena so hard that you're going to explode into billions of fruity pebbles <laughs> now that was a that was a grown 35 year old man that was on that and it was all covered in glitter and it was so lovely and <laughs> the fact that i'm the only person that's ever seen that uh, upsets me I paused it so I could write it all down <laughs> it's like Muay Thai why is it I tr- here by the way he he wouldn't kick him that hard I've seen him in MMA there's nothing to work about and if this guy that made the sign is anything to go by I don't think Chicago's gonna riot either so everybody was safe but it just re- really tickled me but awesome match terrible commentators watch the whole pay-per-view because it's really good and the crowd's electric the entire night yeah i i couldn't agree more with that whole synopsis you've put you've just put it in a nutshell agreed 100 percent. try to the less said about what happened afterwards the better <laughs> yeah absolutely so jake you're back on the podcast it has been a while but you're here back on the forgotten podcast <laughs> the forgotten podcast that's you you're going to be the man from the forgotten podcast <laughs> our first topic is our favorite match and why or just a match that sticks out to you as something you love and enjoy and why it's so special or why it's so unique so over to you jake what's going on how's your day going and let's get talking about these matches nothing's really going on at the moment mate i already just it <laughs> that's about it for my Sunday. Yesterday I went and played golf. I'm terrible. Literally terrible. So wrestling no, matches, Jake. Favourite wrestling yeah. match or a match that sticks yeah. out and why? Favourite of all time is the Rock Mankind I Quit match. Yeah, Royal Rumble 99. You probably know more about it than I do. <laughs> <laughs> but... I just remember, like, the reason it's my favourite is because I used to watch it all the time. It was like the, uh, the first, like videotaped wrestling I had 
the Royal Rumble 99. So, like, for me, even though you say always 2000 Rumble, 99 is my favourite. Because I've watched it over and over. Do you like when it's the only one you have? You just watch, rewatch it and yeah. rewatch it and rewatch it. Yeah. And, like, for me, the I Quit match just never gets boring. Even now, I actually rewatched it only, like, two or three weeks ago. And it's still, for me, the best I Quit match of all time. Yeah. It's quality. Like, Everything it's about story, it's quality. And when you actually, as a child, I didn't actually know the build-up to the story. But when you actually go back and watch it, it built from, like, the fact that The Rock turned. Yeah. To the corporate champ. Then Mick Foley was that lovable idiot who was the like Bane and Vince's side and everyone's like you can never win the title. Then was it January fourth edition he won it? Yeah, on Raw where WCW announced Mick Foley's winning the title, keep it on ours. May as well keep our program on. And they lost about two million viewers to go and see Foley win the title. uh, and that was when Michael Cole actually delivered a great little line, didn't he? He did. It was. It was like there's Mama's very there's very few Michael Cole phone. lines that stick out. <laughs> should we do, should you do a podcast of your love of Michael Cole? <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't get off the ground. I would do the intro and there'd be silence. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was actually a good one. He actually he actually called it well because you always think that's gonna be when you actually walk, watch it back. You're like, oh, Jr. called it, and it wasn't. It was Michael Cole. Yeah. So I think it wasn't at the time that JR was doing cerebral had cerebral palsy. Yeah, it was. Um, and it, he was gone. It was Cole and um, King. Cole and King. Austin came out to, well, in my opinion, one of the best pops ever in wrestling. The crowd it, was just was so that, hot for it. The Rock was so good pick. as a heel that everyone wanted to see him lose. Nowadays, you watch a show and you see the heel, and you're like, oh, he's great. He's a slimy heel. You watched The Rock and went, you're a scumbag and I want you to lose it. He was so good in his character. Crowd was so into it. DX around the ring. Corporation around the ring. Cole and King were just probably... probably that was the best king. Yeah, and they were firing all cylinders because they didn't have Vince McMahon in the rear because he was running about at ringside. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that was the best king because I remember that when he won it, King was devastated, weren't he? That was when the, the heels were actual heels and you actually semi-believed that they didn't want like Foley to win yeah he's like this is the darkest like, day in the history of the company and he was screaming no 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 Vince McMahon's life is over <laughs> <laughs> and Vince McMahon was crying when like Austin came out wasn't it like, yeah and then there was that little funny thing where like people were holding Vince back and Austin was sort of laughing because the well, they had pinned the rock and then Austin has that like he couldn't get out Vince because all the corporations already threw the hat at him give him the fingers and Cry just and that's, going crazy, and Vince is like stomping his feet like a child, screaming. It, it was phenomenal. Everything about it was, it was amazing. And, and it perfectly set up for like The Rock getting back. They did so many good matches at that point. Like in retrospect, you think that Foley made The Rock, but but even the build up was like the empty arena match. Yeah, you had so many. Like I just thought. Joe, you know, like when you rewatch it, you like it just brought out a side of The Rock you didn't you know, like, know. Like Joe, you know, like how Cena. Right, and this ain't a dig at Cena, but do you know how Cena comes across? Do you know, like there's not a vicious side to him? Yeah. Like the Rock, what Mankind did was bring the vicious side of the Rock. Yeah. Like the chair shots, the 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 hit into the electrical. You're like, how much can Foley take? Yeah. And it was like continuous. It was like, and the verbiage and how you like you're in tune and that he handcuffed him and then he's just smashing. Him and then Foley got some offense in, and it was just a back and forth. 
until The Rock dominated, and then it was just like, will Foley ever quit? Yeah, yeah, it was one of those ones, and they couldn't really and, do it now. But remember, they were like, um, I think it was one of the one of the commentators said something about. And the Rock said he'll he'll kill him if he has to. And then the King was like, yeah. I would it wouldn't surprise me if the Rock killed him. And then he was like, I'm fully stupid enough not to say I quit. <laughs> but I remember I don't know if it was true or not, and you might have to tell me. But I remember when I was younger, and someone telling me, and I don't know who it was, that it was that they made it so it wasn't Foley who quit. Yeah, it from what from what I remember, again, I'm not over. I I'm not overly strong here and remembering back to the like every raw and stuff but if i remember correctly it, it was the it was it was a tape um yeah <laughs> and that's sort of why there was the there was the empty arena rematch there was the rematch at St. valentine's day massacre and a ladder match i think these guys treated the title it popped back and forth like a hot potato four times between survivor <laughs> series and the build-up get into mania I think it was the yeah, Rock won at Survivor Series. Fully was screwed out of it at Rock Bottom. He won it on Raw. Rock won it back at the Rumble. I can't remember who. What I think Fully won it on either on a in the ladder match or in halftime heat or something like that. And the Rock won it back at, at somewhere else, and that was it till Mania. But I remember they, <laughs> they they it was like a hot potato, and it was funny because that sort of gets put down now. Like oh, you can't hot potato champions. And I think a lengthy reign is good, but every now and again you can have something that's so close, so tight that people are into that you can't afford to hot potato. And I think it actually worked here with Foley and Rock. I think it, I think it worked, and I think that what the story was was that the Rock had to go to a place that he had never been to before to be ready for Austin. Like I think the progression of the storyline was how far will the Rock go to be champion. Yeah, and that's what they were doing with the I Quit match because if you think about how many chair shots like to win the title he would have to do that many chair shots and he was willing to do it yeah and that's what this, there was no remorse the rock was no longer that baby face that they wanted I know he went heel before he went to true baby face but he wasn't that guy where you're like oh he's the happy smiling He there was a vicious side he was ready to do whatever because yeah. to make him credible to take on Austin, you needed The Rock to go to that level, which was why 99 was always good to me. Yeah. Because you, and I always just loved it. And I just always loved the ending with him, Joe, with the belt over Foley. Yeah, I thought, yeah, it did. He got so much heat from that. And the fact he was like back to the ring and was posing the top ropes while Foley's literally bleeding everywhere and being helped to the back <laughs> and stuff. And Michael Cole going, this is disgusting. This is sick. That helped sell it too. Yeah. And then you wanted, well, I don't remember, because I'm not going to lie, everyone's going to hate me probably, but I was always such a rock fan, I hated Austin. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, like, even as a child, you like how you now, you're like, oh, I can appreciate both of them, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then it was like, nah, rock's my dude, don't like Austin. Yeah. Right? But you can see what they were doing. They were building up the rock to a point where people wanted Austin to win. Yeah. I think they they still seen Austin as their sort of their number one baby face at the time, and I think they were like, let's, well, you got the, let's get him. Well, like, you're gonna call me a, go you're gonna call me a loser, but remember that you said, oh, it's the loudest pop in your memory. Yeah. I actually watched the ten loudest pops. Do you know, like they're one of those little countdown videos yeah, on yeah. YouTube, and it was number one. Was it actually? <laughs> yeah, he came out in a cap, didn't he? He came out in a cap. Yeah. 
sort of in his like, jeans, and long sleeve him, t-shirt or something. He smashed him over the head with a yeah, with the biggest pop of all time. Yeah, it's pop scene knows. <laughs> I know, I know. But that was, but that's because he had a neck injury, wasn't it? Yeah, he was sort of starting to have issues with his neck and, and all that sort of thing. But he was the real number one baby face, and I think. Almost, it's a strange thing because I think when The Rock was slowly turning face, maybe in 98, where he was, he had a little run in with McMahon and dropped the elbow on him and stuff before he turned to the corporate champion, you could see The Rock was getting the people too. And all of a sudden you're going to have these two huge baby faces. And I don't think WWE really planned for that, at The Rock to get that big that quickly as a face because he just turned and then they flipped yeah. him back to heel. And they were like, okay, let's capitalize on that. Let's get great heat. But let's remember we have lightning in a bottle here for whenever we want to turn it to create possibly, and people will argue, the greatest and most popular star ever. You know, when they did flip him back. It's it's hard because the wrestling business was going down when he turned back. But he maintained it. Yeah. It wasn't as hard. but, But going back to favorite matches, so that's my number one. Yeah. I'm going to do two honourable, one honourable mention. Yeah, shit. Uh, it was Kofi Kingston at the Elimination Chamber. Yeah. And I don't know why, <laughs> but I just remember, well, we were at my place, weren't we? Yeah. And I just remember, like, Joe, like, the anticipation, and for the first time in, like, years, apart from, what, five years since Daniel Bryan 2014, yeah. was it? Yeah. That you could actually feel like a crowd invested in a storyline for yeah, WWE. Completely invested, and especially and, when it got I, to those two as the last two. Oh, there was a move, and I forgot what it was because I was made. I was getting our nuggets right, so everyone can know what the story. <laughs> and I just remember this like screech from my couch <laughs> that you thought you'd won it. Yeah, it was. He had a big trouble in paradise. And they'd yeah. sort of been building for about five, six minutes. And Kofi hit this big move coming out of the corner, went for the pin. And I was like, they, they're, they're, they're pulled the trigger. One, two. And when he kicked out, I jumped. I actually jumped up, had some head like, oh. I thought, I thought it was it. Genuinely, I thought it was it. But that's, but that's why it's like a number two. Because it's like a, that's a physical, palpable. And when he lost, I remember feeling gutted. Yeah. And I'm a 26-year-old man at this point, feeling gutted. <laughs> I'm like, they should have pulled the trigger. I mean, they, ev- they eventually did, and he got his WrestleMania moment. But I think, I just, especially I just think because it, was it wasn't on last at WrestleMania, I I do look back and go, they probably could have done it at the Chamber because that crowd was so invested and then had like Kofi have a very successful defense at Mania. because Just because it wasn't on last, I sort of thought it would have... But I, I get why they did it at Mania and stuff too, but... Um, that elimination chamber one, I just felt you literally had the crowd in the palm of your hand. Yeah, well, you had me and you, yeah. twenty-six and a thirty-year-old man in Canada <laughs> on the edge of our seats. Yeah, true. <laughs> what else right, is can... on your honourable mentions on... list? It's hard because I don't want to nick anyone's thunder. <laughs> <laughs> if it is someone else's, well, then we'll. I'll just be like, "Yep, I agree," and it's X person's. And they will discuss it, but far away. Who have you got? I'd say Triple H, Undertaker. Mania 28 or? Helen, Helen, so. Yeah. yeah and I that, that. That. <laughs> I'll, yeah, all right, all right. Mate, <laughs> relax. Don't, no one wants a little big up of yourself. <laughs> but I just remember the super kick into the pedigree and I thought it was done. 
Yeah. It's always those moments, ain't it? They should be your favourite. Like, because people always go classic five star matches. And it's like, no. It has to be those moments where you think it's over and they've absolutely screwed you. Yeah. So, yeah. like, The Undertaker, you like, the, that moment when you hit him and you're like, he screwed him. He's absolutely screwed him. Yeah. And he kicked out and you're like, no way. <laughs> yeah it was, it was so good i i actually tweeted about this a, the other day to alex mccarthy he he said something about it uh about it being like one of the craziest near falls ever and i said yeah i agree and i remember i was in the car and a couple of rows behind me i think it was actually one or two rows behind me two guys started arguing over that near fall like shouting and screaming at each other one was for taker one was for triple h and hulk hogan in character who was sitting four rows in front, some cosplay Hulk Hogan, came running up the stairs and said, brother, you stop fighting right now, in character, was telling them off as Hulk Hogan, and all during this match going on, it was amazing. <laughs> oh man, wrestling crowds are the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, sometimes I don't know whether people think it's real or not, and I just go think, go with the flow, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend it's real for the three yards you're standing there. You got you got you got Hulk Hogan arguing with an Undertaker splitting up. We should have had that as like a little intermission break for you lads. Yeah, should have had Triple H shot, hold it up, get these lads in the ring here. <laughs> Hulk Hogan yeah, in as a referee. But like, any of I always like the tag matches between DIY and what are they called nowadays? The Revolt or the Revival all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. huge I always love. I always love the. It's hard because like it's not there's not really much that makes you like call out to you. Yeah, and that's been a big issue with wrestling in the last year. There's nothing that has that like connection where yeah. you're like, "Poor, I really want someone to win." Yeah. Now you're just like, ah, it's all right. Can we give some honourable mentions of the worst matches? <laughs> that <laughs> that's gonna be another podcast, but yes, we can. But for now, Jake, thank you so much for your time today. We have your number one, your standout, The Rock, Mankind, Royal Rumble, 99, I Quit Match. Unbelievable. Jeff, as they would say back home. Thanks for having me on, man. We have talked in detail Money in the Bank. We now need to talk about SummerSlam. 2001 one of my favorite matches it's a go-to for me every now and again if i just want to watch a wrestling match and i don't know what to watch i would throw this match on the wwf title middle of the invasion heel stone cold steve austin versus universally loved adored olympic united states hero kurt angle what a match what what a a match match yeah, what a fantastic match. Tell us, why does it stick out for you? Like, why is it your go-to when you want to watch a match like that? The only thing I can say is the storytelling of it. Obviously, I was invested in the two characters. I've always been a huge Austin fan. Even when he went heel, I didn't care. I loved him. But this was... He was still getting... And Austin talks down about his heel run and being like, he, he didn't really get booed and... He wasn't really over as a heel and stuff. I thought at times he was. (laughs) You know, I'm not to disagree with the person who was in the role, but at times I do think he was. There was times I thought he did get great heat and he did get booed and he did get 
eyes on the product and he did get his opponent over. Now I've listened to a couple of different podcasts recently. I listened to um, Jim Cornette talk about the Austin Bret Hart match and I watch along. I listened to Bret Hart Steve Austin talk about it and I watched that match recently. And now that I've watched that match, I've seen little glimpses of the psychology of what Bret and Austin were doing at Mania 13 in this match in terms of the viciousness of the heel to, to generate the sympathy for the babyface and to get him even more over. And that's what I meant by the psychology and the storytelling. I just thought everything about it was so, so good. The build-up was amazing. That there was no, that Austin had him banging off the ring post and Angle caught him in the ankle lock atop of the ramp on SmackDown. The crowd was into it. I just thought it, it was so, so good. But the match itself was just a vicious, vile, like vile, stone cold, who just didn't care how he beat Kurt Angle. He just had to beat him. And that part where he hits, he hit a stunner quite early on. And yeah. Angle sold the stunner so well, he sort of bounced out of the ring. He went through the sort of, I think it was the between the second and the bottom rope to the outside. And you seen Austin a bit like banging the ring as if like, damn, he's, he's went outside. And I thought that was a brilliant sell by Angle. And then Austin went outside the ring and just went psychotic on him. The ring post was it three, four times into the ring post. The busted angle opened. I don't know if that was a work or if that was legitimate about the bleeding, but it looked amazing. They went into the crowd. They fought for a bit. And then that part where Austin's climbing over the barrier to get back in and angle just pops up and puts the ankle lock over the barrier. And Austin is screaming and writhing and rolling. The crowd's popping the commentators are going crazy and there's a close-up of angle's face with the blood pouring out and that's what that's where another sort of throwback to mania 13 i felt you know you're going here let's generate the sympathy here but this time it's the bloody baby face who's got the guy in the submission and austin screaming in pain and they eventually end up back in the ring and stuff like that i just everything about it i thought the characters how they played the crowd reaction I'm not a huge fan of a DQ finish. I love the finish to this match. Absolutely love it. Really? Love it. Really? Okay. Yeah. When Austin couldn't beat him, and he was like, I'm going to get myself disqualified. So he kneels the ref, and then the next ref comes in and goes, I'm not disqualifying you. You have to beat him. <laughs> and then he, and then he like hits him another stunner, another kick out, angles that baby face that just won't stay down. But Austin's that violent heel that there's that part of the match i think it's austin standing above him hands on the hips and angle's like starting to crop and austin starts like slapping him to mock him a little bit and then angle i think nails him with an angle slam and austin just about kicks out and then another ref comes in and out of nowhere austin just stuns the ref or nails the ref or something and jr's in perfect jr mode like what the hell like what is he doing and um it just it's all sort of going crazy and then obviously with the invasion going on was it and uh, nick patrick runs in and he knows austin's bait and he can see it and he's like nah ring the bell and he, he goes to do the pit he goes yeah. to do one and teases the crowd i thought that was one of the best things ever he goes ah nah straight yeah. over ding 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 yeah what a guy and then you that there's the one of the images i think sell it so well of how good angle was how violent Austin was, but how he knew he was beat was when Angle's grabbing Nick Patrick sort of by the collar, like, what have you done? What have you done? 
there's that it flips very very quickly to an image of Austin kind of like jogging hopping away down the aisle with the belt you know almost like I like I'm getting out of here before he sees me type thing and angle obviously with the the ankle lock on Nick Patrick and the, the blood and the big giant woo and stuff. I, I love it. Everything about this match, I absolutely love. Um, I talked to Peter earlier about Terry Funk, Bret Hart. You'll hear it on this podcast. It's from a psychology, storytelling point of view, phenomenal. Again, this from a different way, but a psychology and storytelling point of view. And to generate heat, to generate interest for the next pay-per-view, amazing i love this match the only issue i have with wwe in this match is it didn't close the show but i understood the rock was back and he was winning a belt so he sort of it was fair enough that he closed the show but i finished as well probably yeah isn't a great way to end it but yeah i know what you mean loved it absolutely loved it um and austin coming out to that like odd stone cold heelish kind of music an angle jumping out of the ring and standing at the bottom of the aisle, being like, hurry up, get down here. And then they meet in the middle of the aisle, start, just start going at it. Love everything about it. A couple of things. Uh, see, the I forgot it was because he was jealous of Kurt getting a hug yes. off Vince McMahon. He started the whole thing. <laughs> it was like, you're, I'm underappreciated. A couple of things, Patsy. I always consider me and you to have pretty similar wrestling tastes. So I'm going to throw you a couple of things here just to, yep. because we've done 10 years apart our matches, but work with me here. All right. So first up, it's a disgruntled employee who claims he's been underappreciated <laughs> and shocks, shocks the world by turning his back on the company. Right. Yeah. With Vince McMahon's back against the wall, he turns to a self-proclaimed American hero <laughs> to fight for him. Well, Vince's man bring back the gold and more importantly what does the future hold if if he loses <laughs> we watched the same match this is why i text you saying that i hate you because basically <laughs> <laughs> i text you because i watched these back to back i did punk cena then the SummerSlam. yep and you had better commentators i thought my crowd was hot but then i forgot the attitude era so yours was as loud, and I'm just not used to crowds. <laughs> um, that spot, even the spot that you said about he got the stunner and fell out of the ring, CM Punk hit the knee, hit the GTS, and yep. John Cena fell out of the ring. But instead of the commentators going, oh, no, like JR cracking up, going, oh, he had him, he had him, or whatever, the other way around. Yeah. It's just Booker T just goes, ah, Cena meant to do that. He's a, he always knows where he's at. I was literally, I was watching this going, this is like a younger version of the CM Punk match. If you watch it back, it's weird. There's weird comparisons. Yeah. I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I never even thought about that, but you're right. It's funny and the, and the whole, it's interesting too, like the way you've, we talked about it and you mentioned that they're like the pro-American hero. It's almost like the cheap way being like, I, I know what I'll get them to cheer. He's an American hero after, yeah, you know, after Kurt Angle, it's his first face run in WWE, after sort of being like, here's this annoying guy who's going to remind us all he's done about America for the past three years now. It's like, he's an American hero. Cheer him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like this international company, but the focus on America so much. <laughs> Your commentators weren't biased, comparative. I mean, they were putting jives in against each other, but you had like 
right, you had King in my match would just go, I don't know what these guys all see in CM Punk. Yeah. But then you had Paul Heyman and yours going, listen, I know that Kurt Angle's a wrestling machine. You do not win an Olympic gold medal. Yeah. And JR's going, well, I know that Stone Cold's one of the toughest SOBs ever. I know him. Trust me, I know. Yeah. And it's like you can still disagree and agree without making everybody look like a loser. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I watched it. I was really glad I watched it. I forgot it ended in a DQ. What a match. Fantastic. Did you check the star ratings? I didn't. I did not check the star ratings. But one thing before you tell me, because I'm assuming you did because you brought it up. <laughs> what, what I was, what I, another thing that I love about this Austin Angle match was this is in the middle of the invasion and there's always stuff going on and pay-per-views at this particular time are famous for run-ins. You know, we even had a run-in in the Rock and Shane match as well, which was quite good because it tied into a match that happened earlier in the night. But they didn't have any loads of members from the Alliance, heels running down to help the heel, and they didn't have any faces from the WWF running in to chase away the Alliance. They left it to be a story between these two who had generated a lot of heat and a reason why they hated each other over the past three months. And I know that obviously Nick Patrick cost it with the DQ and all that sort of thing. And you could say, oh, there's a bit of a run in there. But I'm talking from like a superstar standpoint. It was just a very good story between these two. And I've listened to a lot of Austin's podcasts. I've listened to a lot of interviews with Angle. And I always find it baffling that these two never talk about this match. Yeah. You know, you hear Did they have lot. another couple of matches? Yeah, the September 11th, obviously, 2001, was shortly ah. after SummerSlam. And I don't know if it was meant to happen or not because they switched the title back so quickly. But remember Unforgiven, Angle beat Austin for the belt and then the whole locker room came out and celebrated with Angle. And then, was it eight days later on Raw, Austin beat him to win it back. So I'm always curious. I don't know if Angle was ever supposed to win that title. It was maybe... A, a sort of Olympic USA thing, given yeah, obviously what had, what like had happened. But yeah, they course. did follow up. And I remember being really excited for the Unforgiven one, and it, and it wasn't great. And I was always a little bit disappointed in that. But this SummerSlam one was was absolutely tremendous. Yeah, agreed. Uh, it was a lot shorter than I remembered as well. Yeah, it was. But, uh, yeah, just seeing the, those two back-to-back, um, those two matches... I completely forgot about this match. Like, you forget how good some SummerSlams are. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a fantastic match. It's a great shout when you told me you got it. I was just like, yeah, that would be great to watch back. Yeah. Um, so but you... I think Kurt Angle's a brilliant babyface. He, he never got used in, like, a serious babyface role enough, I don't think. Yeah. He was always a comedy babyface or a heel. So... He's amazing. See, when he just pulls the straps down and starts screaming, I'm like, yeah, go on. Go on, Kurt. Yeah. I'm uh, behind him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a bit of it, too, is you talked about the realness whenever we talked about yourself and, you know, Punk and Cena match and what, what you loved about that. The fact he is a legitimate Olympic gold medalist and the fact he did break bones in his neck and stuff, whenever you yeah. see him pull the straps down and scream, you do get that, like, yeah, okay, I, I can buy into this. It's almost a bit like the Lesnar factor. Well, Lesnar comes out and he's, he's doing stuff around. There's the believability factor about it. Yeah. Yeah, even to the point where he's actually elbowing Randy Orton in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Another, uh, summer, yeah. another SummerSlam. <laughs> yeah, right enough. Yeah. Um, Good show. You talked about the the star ratings. What did... Okay, I only saw mine and yours. Yeah. Or I only checked because I didn't know everybody else's. 
Uh, mine's five star. It was the last five star that he gave a main roster one to. Yeah. And yours is four. Okay. Which I was I was quite shocked at. I thought it was going to be more. I thought four and a half, just where it was in the card and how good and yeah. maybe the finish. You know what he's like with Uncle Dave's like with DQ finishes. Yeah. Whatever you said four, I was like, okay, that's fine because I was expecting like a two point five because of the finish. <laughs> No, I don't know. It wasn't that bad. It was too good of a match. Like you said, all the moments. See, at the start of the match, they go straight outside the ring, and I was worried because I thought it was just going to be a brawl in the crowd for like 10 minutes. Yeah. But they just get in, bell rings, straight down to work, and it was fantastic start to finish. Yeah, I just thought it really, for me anyway, as a he lost him, where mm-hmm. he says himself, a lot of people didn't want to boo him and stuff like that. I find the viciousness came across in this match off a heel where he really looked a heel whereas there were times during this run you sort of feel like he oh he's just playing like a heel it just didn't work it didn't suit but this one I went okay he's a heel he's acting like a heel he is a heel he's doing heelish things he's not just playing the heel which at times is where I think his heel run although I liked it I think it fell down a little bit because there was you just times you felt he was trying too hard to be a healer playing it whereas this just looked legit well there was uh remember he attacked the hardy boys and Lita, and it yeah. was just awful and triple h and him were just beating Lita up i was like this is too much this is just like a snuff film yeah and then it's either that and a couple of weeks later he's talking to deborah about his cookies yeah is that i'll eat the cookies i'll eat the cookies yeah and, and then you know, pick your lane kind of thing. Yeah, and then you'd want him and Angle were running about with cowboy hats on and tin stars, yeah. which is which is very funny, but it just doesn't it didn't sit well with as you said, the viciousness running about with well. chairs, smashing people with chairs. Yeah, yeah, it was very confusing time, but yeah, fantastic year for wrestling, fantastic choice, man. Yeah. Proud of you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Expect <laughs> <laughs> my check in the mail. Um, <laughs> But Spud, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Um, yeah, th- thank you very much for having me on as usual. As always, uh, we're, we're, I love it. We're maintaining the streak on the wrestling edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Darren. We're talking to Spud. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. So Neil, welcome to the podcast. You're back again. The wrestling edition of the podcast. What's going on? Good, thanks. I've had a good weekend uh, for obvious reasons. Arsenal went in the Community Shield, so I put a smile on my face, but I'm looking forward to coming on again and talking about some wrestling. Bit of Jim Cornette there, Neilers. Oh, yes. Uh, I'll try not to <laughs> rant as much as them, but... <laughs> um, topic today. Favourite match and why, or a match that sticks out, or a match that means a lot to you. Obviously, for us, we've we've been to a couple of WrestleManias. We've been to three of them where we were at together. I'm assuming you're going to go with a match from one of these WrestleManias, and I think I could pick which one it is, but I'll let you do the glorious introduction. Okay, so yes, you are right, and I'm pretty sure you know which match I'm going to talk about here. But I've actually sort of divided this into two, because if we're talking about childhood memories, obviously the Attitude Era for us was like the be-all and end-all. So we're going to talk about it first, and I'll, I'll touch on it briefly uh, before getting into my, my main event. <laughs> so do you remember back in 2001, 
after the rocket went off and it, it Triple H and Austin had joined together with McMahon and they had the two-man power trip and they got into this brilliant feud with The Undertaker and Kane. One of the best matches, and it's not it's not a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination, but just for the storylines, the storytelling and the build-up to it and you know the stipulation to it, the tag team match between Taker and Kane and Austin and Triple H and all the belts were on the line, for me, just sticks in my head as something that as a child I loved. Like, it was unbelievable. Like, and you were going into it thinking, like, oh, my God, like, what's going to happen here? Like, Kane and Taker are the tag champs. Austin and Triple H, you know, have got the WWF and IC titles. You know, everything's up for grabs here. And you were like, this, well, in my time of watching wrestling, I had never saw that before. So it was unique. And the crowd loved it. And you know what it's like, you know, after WrestleMania, there's always a dip in storylines and creative and all. But this was just after WrestleMania. And it was like, this is amazing. It didn't, when you think about it, considering Triple H and Austin had been feuding a few months beforehand, it didn't actually make any sense. But you didn't <laughs> care about it. You didn't care about it because it was so engaging and chaotic. And each week, it was like Triple H and Austin were like, hitting people with sneak attacks and beating up the Hardys and beating lead up and all. And then The Undertaker and Kane got involved. And then it was always funny because Austin was always, the, you know, the toughest SOB in the planet and all that sort of stuff. And then suddenly he turned to And, like, the next week he was running away and all. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He was running away from Undertaker, especially. And, you know, they had there was a great build-up, you know, to that. There was the sneak attacks and all that sort of stuff. And, you know... I always just remember going into that match and it was just chaos. Well, it's funny when you look back at it and any time you hear Austin talk about his heel run and I've listened to quite a number of his podcasts, he always talks about it in a negative sense. He said he didn't like it. Crowd didn't want to boo him. He didn't get any heat. And if he could go back in time, he would change it and never go heel. But, and I said this to Spud when we were talking on the chat with me and Spud. I, it's funny because I say this. Austin, obviously, he was there. He knows if that's his opinion. Obviously, um, he's probably right. But for me as a fan, I disagree with him. I loved the heel run. And I thought it was funny. I thought it was different. Spud made a point, and I agree with Spud the other point. It was a bit... You didn't know which heel Austin to sort of go with. Like, one week he's smashing people with chairs and was ultra-violent and psychotic, and then the next week he's running away. It was almost a bit, you know multiple characters of this hail it didn't really make sense but as you said it it was fun it was engaging it was different and if there's one thing i don't mind wrestling doing is it's trying to be different is to try something new to try something different to try and engage a crowd in a way maybe that it hasn't been engaged before i don't mind different at least the attempt of it anyway but as you said the crowd were into this i watched the match maybe just over a week ago and austin said he wasn't getting any heat he might not be getting a great deal of heat, but the people he were up against were getting great pops. Taker and Kane came out to an amazing ovation. You know, they were really hot baby faces getting into this, which was really, really fun. I thought, I just thought it was a very fun little program. You know, as you said, after the lull of Mania. Well, this is it. Like, sorry, I know you're talking there about Austin. That obviously at this stage before Triple H get injured and stuff, like him and Hunter were running around wrecking people and obviously because of injuries to Triple H and even Austin himself it, Austin's heel run 
it turned into more of a comedic heat run, like with petitions with he didn't want to defend his title and all and a triple threat and any student was spiked up and all yeah. this. So it's so ridiculous. But at this stage, like as you say, you know, the crowd loved it. Like it was it was amazing, you know, going into that. And even the match itself, like Triple H in Austin, like, you know, the they won by cheating and all, like do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there was the sledgehammer shot and all. But you remember even during that match, Stephanie McMahon got involved and Kane hit her this unbelievable big boot. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, and it was like, wow. But you see, one of the things I always liked about the American badass taker was he had this sort of like believable streak in him where if it would cut to him and he'd be swearing and you could you could lip read what he was saying and at the end of it, you know, he's tending the Kane and Austin and Triple H are literally like crawling out of the arena with all the belts and I'm like, <laughs> It's it's scroll the camera scrolls the Undertaker and he's like giving dropping the F bomb and all. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. there was that there was that bit of realism about that feud. And then and then it extended to Judgment Day as well, you know, where they had the singles matches too. But yeah. um I, I just thought I always remember that feud and thought this is really, really good gripping television at the time. The match wasn't like a five star classic, but you didn't care. The storytelling was unbelievably good. Well, that's that's going to be a theme with yours. Obviously, I think I know what your your main event match is, or you're the one you really want to talk about is. And the what I'm finding with yours, and everyone has a different different reason to why matches stick out. You know, for for maybe for for Peter, it was a lot about the psychology of the match and how it was put together and the believability of one one person attacking another person's kneecap because that person had bad knees and, and on and on. Spuds was about what drew him back into wrestling after not being too interested in it. And a case of, is this real? Is this not real? Like, what's happening here? Whereas yours is very... You're drawn to stars. I think you're drawn to star power. So even if the match isn't great, the fact that there's two people in there that you want to see fight or you want to see in your TV or charismatic on a microphone or can cut an interview or can cut a promo or maybe they just do something that's a little bit different that sets them apart from just a wrestler if i can put it that way you're drawn to maybe more star par matches is what i feel yeah um you wouldn't be wrong at all um and when you're saying there about cutting promos and being charismatic i think you know who we're who we're referring to here and <laughs> uh, obviously the match I'm going to go for is The Rock versus John Cena at WrestleMania yeah. 28. And absolutely, I was um, talking about John Cena in that because his build-up and his promos is <laughs> <laughs> absolutely superb. Well, this, this is it. Like as I said to you before, like I know it's a wrestling show, but and oh, okay, you know, primarily the, uh, the product is wrestling. But to me, if you can't get invested in the characters, but each week, even in the build-up to that match. Some of the promos from John Cena were amazing. And, you know, he was doing the rapping and all that sort of stuff. He brought that back. And then the next week, The Rock would have the rock concert and stuff. And it was great TV. And even, you know, I was laughing uh, about this to DZ last week. And, you know, it was actually him that started talking about The Rock concert. He was going on a night out. And he mentioned something about The Rock concert. was, like, watching it. And then I went back and watched it. But... Do you know which the, the one I liked as well was the Rock's Boston Tea Party, and he cuts the <laughs> promo up the river and has the John Cena garden gnomon on, chucks it into the river. Absolutely hilarious. But yeah, even the build up to the Rock Cena uh, 
like from the year before like now that was the first wrestlemania that we went to 28 but it was when they announced the year before that they were going to have that match like i'm sure you can recall yourself that yeah. was the one we were like right this is it if we're going to go into mania we're going to this one because the rock scene will be the biggest main event of all time because you've like arguably the attitude era's main star um or maybe joint main star against this era's main star and to be honest it's probably the last star the proper star they've really had um and it was massive and like the match itself it wasn't a five-star classic but it was never going to be like that it was all about it was all about the crowd and working the crowd and you know hitting the power moves and all that sort of stuff it was never going to be a, a tactical or technical a technical master class and you know you, you know yourself even being there when we were going into the stadium there was a it was like a you knew there was like a big fight feel like you could feel it i know it's part of the pond but you could feel the electricity like do you know what i mean yeah there was and, definitely a palpable sort of energy there because there was this concept of we don't actually know who's going to win because even though it's miami this is their biggest as you said it's their biggest star they've created since the rock and austin era and are they just going to have him i know as we're not gonna, i hate using the word job out but are they just going to have john cena their biggest star of the last 15 years really job out just someone who's coming back for probably one match at that stage and it really was this i don't know and vince always has this habit of put of having the hometown star lose in their hometown so there was this concept and this idea of like looking back now i mean i said i fancied the rock from the get-go and a stand by that and i thought it was always going to be the rock but as the match went on there was a couple of false finishes you did get that like oh maybe they're not going with the rock here and there was this every pinfall especially after a big move was properly like hold your breath style it was this going to be it yeah that's it like i mean obviously like you you said there you know you thought rock was going to win i thought rock would win as well but i think we were like two of the very few people that actually thought that because most people would have thought what you've already said there's no way like they're going to have seen a lose it would be a pass of the torch but to me like because I love The Rock so much, like, I just couldn't fathom, like, him losing to John Cena. I was just like, no, because The Rock is better than John Cena. I can't have it. And, but even there, like, you know yourself at that WrestleMania, there were, like, fans fighting amongst themselves, like, who's going to win and all that sort of carry on. And you're just like, all right, lads, calm down. But <laughs> it was one of them ones you didn't know who was going to win. Now, the crowd was more or less pro-Rock, but you always get people are cheering Cena as well but yeah it was just amazing and as you say all the near falls and stuff the psychology of the match was second to none like you know you had the build up like now I know what I know you touched on it before in the previous podcast with DT about you liked that they had the music before each entrance uh, and it was uh, Machine Gun Kelly and Flow Rider playing yeah and but even when Machine Gun Kelly came out to introduce John Cena, Machine Gun Kelly fired pops at The Rock like he was having yeah. digs at him and all. He was booed out the building wow. too because he yeah. represented John Cena. As soon as he walked yeah. out before he even got to the mic, it was like, here comes Machine Gun Kelly to play John Cena's, the theme for John Cena's promo video. And all of a sudden, because he's just associated with John Cena, the hometown crowd's like, boo. Yeah, exactly. So, um it was always built as once in a lifetime and i know obviously that became twice in a lifetime but 
the whole once in a lifetime tagline for it. You know, on the you know yourself in the match cards that they would have shown. You know, the preview WrestleMania and just the way they had the Rock and Cena, and then they were like directly facing each other and stuff. You know, and in it, you know, I always thought that was pretty cool, and the build up and all was great. And I like to me because we were there because I love the Rock so much and all. To me, that's my favorite match of all time. It sounds. I know a lot of wrestling purists will be like, mate, you haven't a clue what you're talking about, but for actually being there, the atmosphere was unbelievable. And I agree with exactly what you said about me already. I am drawn to star power. Like, you know, it's a match. That's a match that would headline any WrestleMania because of the star power. And you know what it's like? They always want the big stars to, to close the show. It's, it, it, you know, Rock Cena is the closest there's ever been to the Rock Hogan match at WrestleMania 18, yeah. which should have closed the show, and the fact that it didn't close the show was a travesty. But that was the Rock Cena match was the first one since Rock Hogan where it was like two stars of two different eras facing off against each other. Yeah. So it made it such a big deal for that reason as well. I'm sure even at the start of the match, Rock and Cena did the you know the staring at the crowd pose that rock and hogan have done as well yeah i mean there's the facts stand it's the biggest wrestlemania of all time in terms of buy rates and that is the rock and cena's doing because of the star power that they brought to that event you know there's no there's no denying that nobody was looking at that match obviously an undertaker triple h hell in the cell match helps of course but nobody's looking at wrestlemania and being like oh i can't wait to buy wrestlemania to watch sheamus and daniel bryan if you know what i mean People are buying that, whether they're huge wrestling fans, whether they're casuals that haven't watched in 10 years, The Rock versus John Cena. Even if you don't watch wrestling every week, you know who John Cena is. So when you talk about The Rock versus John Cena, you're buying that event. And that's why I think it's number one. But I want to throw a question at you. And I just want to see, I, I don't think it takes away, but I want to see your opinion. The fact that The Rock versus John Cena happened again the following year, does that in any way, shape, or form affect or take away from the from maybe the nostalgia or the grandness, I guess, of this WrestleMania and this match? Well, that is a hard question. Do you know what? I'll say, I'll sit in the fence and say yes slash no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think no, because... It doesn't, like, you didn't know that was going to come down the line, so it doesn't directly affect what happened that night. And because we experienced it firsthand, that can't be taken away from us or from anyone else that was in the arena at that time. I think, it, yes, it does affect it in the sense that because it was built as once in a lifetime and it became twice in a lifetime. Now, again, we went to WrestleMania 29. There was still. There was still a big feel to that match, but you knew straight up that Cena was winning. The first match, it was so hard to call. It was so hard to call. Whereas the second match, you were like, John Cena's definitely winning here. It's, it's, he's getting the win back without a doubt. And I think that would have annoyed a fair few people. Now, to this day, you'd agree. For me, it should have been The Rock versus Cena versus CM Punk that year. That's to me what should have happened. And then yeah. nobody would have batted an eyelid with the two of them facing each other again the following year. But the fact that it was two years in the bounce, 
it does sort of, I suppose it does take the gloss off it a wee bit, but for the actual night itself, it doesn't make a difference because I don't, that will never be top of that atmosphere now. You know it yourself, it was yeah. sensational. And with, with Spud's um, conversation and what and the match that Spud picked, I asked him, what would you have done after that was different? So obviously The Rock was 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 done for a year or for a couple of months until he came back to was it Raw One Thousand or whatever Raw it was I can't remember where it was. It was yeah yeah Raw One Thousand and but Cena Cena came out and then there was the stuff with Tensai and then there was the stuff with Lesnar and he ended up beating Lesnar. To me that was the wrong decision and I know you can you can't have John lose two huge matches back to back. I felt he was that big a star in that company he could have done that. He could have lost two in a row and it wouldn't have bad an eyelid because it was The Rock and because it was Brock. But in terms of the aftermath of WrestleMania, would you have done anything different with the booking of Cena? Or how would you have handled the resulting loss for John Cena? Um, what I would have done personally is, you know, the way Brock came out and attacked Cena the night after on Raw? Yeah. I would have had that happen. But I would have written Cena off TV for a few months and then had Brock fight somebody else at Extreme Rules. Yeah. And then you've got Brock's star power there for that pay-per-view and whatever for SummerSlam. But I would have had Cena come back maybe a few months later and maybe had a wrestling match against him down the line. Yeah, maybe at a SummerSlam main event, something like that. Yeah, because it was Brock Triple H. Uh, instead, yeah. but you could have done that maybe. Um, I would have kept Cena away for a few months, and then even do you know what you could have even written him off TV for the gods nearly a year, and maybe well, he won that Rumble in 2013 anyway. Yeah. So what you could have done is maybe had him come back as a surprise entrant, and he wins it. And to me personally, I don't think The Rock should have won the title at the Royal Rumble against CM Punk. I would have actually have had Punk retain, but by a screwy finish because he was a heel then. Yeah. And then you could have got Rock getting his rematch at the following pay-per-view, which was Elimination Chamber. Yeah, which they they and fought at anyway. So you all, you're, a, you're, you're a, pretty much just, match. yeah, you're just changing yeah. really the outcome of the first one. Yeah. So if you had a change, you could have kept Cena off TV, had him win the Rumble. If they were going to go down the line of having Rock Cena again, what I would have done is I would have had, if Cena was to win the Rumble, fine. I would have had The Rock lose to Punk, screwy finish, but then at Elimination Chamber, The Rock gets a rematch, and then The Rock maybe wins that, but then Punk goes, well, I get an automatic rematch because I was the champion, I've lost, and then Cena wins the Rumble, challenges The Rock, Punk is like, well, I've got a rematch, so I'm getting in, triple threat, and then I would have had, if Cena won it then, that's the way of getting the title off The Rock, maybe. Um, yeah, just to see if that, just to see if taking yeah. away from that first match with with the yeah. second, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I still think that was a massive misstep from WWE, and um, I know that facing Undertaker, as Punk's went on record and saying, is no, you know, it's not a demotion in any aspect, but um, he felt he should have been in the main event. I think most people would agree that his yeah. years, body of work, and where he was positionally in the company, he should have been evented that year. And I think he earned his right and should have been in that main event match as a triple threat. It's almost like the booking of WrestleMania 20 with Benoit, Michaels, and Triple H. 
you know, the winner of the Rumble. There wasn't a decisive winner at the title match and it all combinates in WrestleMania for, for a triple threat. And I think the fans would have been hugely into that match too because of the outcome would have been a little bit more, hmm, what's going to happen here? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think now I watched WrestleMania 29 back there uh, a few months ago. And, I, okay, like, it was enjoyable being at it, but it wasn't in in terms of placing your WrestleManias, WrestleMania 29 wouldn't be very high on people's list, I don't think. And the reason being, like like was said for WrestleMania 28, calling The Rock John Cena match was so hard. Like it was so hard, you didn't know what was going to happen. But for 29, you knew Cena was going to win. Like you knew that was happening. Yeah. So it took away that, let me say, like the sort of X factor of that match. And that's why they sort of went for the old... They were literally hitting each other with finishers every five seconds, yeah. um, which I didn't mind, to be fair. But you knew Cena was going to win, and it was a similar theme with that pay-per-view. You knew Cena was going to win that match. You knew Undertaker was going to beat Punk. You knew the Triple H was going to get the win back on Lesnar. So it was sort of like a waste of like the three main events where if you just had a wee tweak here and a wee tweak there. You could have maybe had the triple threat, and then people would have been invested in it because straight away you knew Cena was going to win that title. Like there were the yeah. odds that Cena at the time was like one to two hundred or something ludicrous. Yeah, and I mean the whole the whole build up to that match from Cena coming in, you know, and, and winning the Rumble, and then the whole video package was redemption, and I'm getting my win back, and my years being awful. There was actually a very laughable moment in that um, video package. <laughs> Or he's talking about the different things that had happened to him over the year. And he's like, ever since I lost to The Rock, my life's been a tailspin. And it even showed you a clip of his marriage breaking up. And it's like, well, that's not The Rock's fault. But <laughs> it's, it's not The Rock's fault at all. Like, it's, not, it's not The Rock's fault that uh, there might have been a few extracurricular activities going on. Like. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like the, that whole video package was all about the redemption of Cena. You know, right the way from maybe the Rumble. You know, the, the promo the next night, well, it's my road to redemption and all this. You thought, okay, well, we know the outcome of WrestleMania. We know who's closing the show. But, um, oh, absolutely. It was, it was so... Like, it was it, too it obvious. Just, I know a lot of yes, times wrestling it, is very obvious about what's going to happen, but this was nailed on 100%ers for their three main events. Oh, yeah. But even the thing that, that I think wound so many people up, especially the John Cena detractors, would wind them up in the build of that match is that the way Cena was always like painted as some massive underdog and it's like mate you're John Cena you've, you've won about 20 titles but you know over the last few yeah. years like you're, um, between winning um, you know uh, tag belts and world belts and all that sort of stuff and it's like mate you've you've got you've won so many gold like you're not an underdog at all like you've made yeah. offended every pay-per-view this is not David against Goliath. It's not like Akron and Stanley playing Barcelona or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it's your John Cena, and that was one of the things I could never buy into as being the underdog. Like, but you knew that uh, that the Rock was going to lose that one. You knew Cena was going to get the win back and sort of like place him as an equal alongside the Rock. But the people. Let's be honest, people don't care about that much. They care about the main one, which was the first one. Yeah, but that that is the the, the, the sort of funny factor in all this, I think, is to me the only thing that takes away from the first one 
is the once in a lifetime. I think it was a brilliant tagline for the event, but if they were going to do it again, don't don't use it. And then the second one's fine, is is totally my opinion. But the fact they use once in a lifetime is to me the only detractor from the second one. Um, but going back to what what you said there about John being an underdog, it's it's funny that when when we reviewed Spud's match and there and it was in relation to CM Punk and John Cena, Punk actually said in the build up to that Money in the Bank match, it's um you, you've become what you hate. You're a dynasty. You're the ten time champion. He says you, into baseball terms, you're the New York Yankees, and it's it's totally true. You know the the paint John Cena as an underdog was totally. It was silly. It was silly from a booking standpoint. It was silly from a creativity standpoint. It was silly from. I, I just. I, it just never made sense, and it didn't. It didn't. It didn't bring any more mystique or any more. Oh, I wonder what could happen to this main event because it was very clear what was happening in this main event, regardless of how they pushed it and how they promoted it. Yeah, I, I don't get it at all. It's. It's like, listen, you might be able to convince six-year-old children that John Cena is an underdog, but you're not going to be able to convince a hardcore wrestling fan that John Cena is an underdog when he is literally like the machine that is, you know, being the face of the company for, what, at that stage, 2012, for a good six years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's no point trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. They're not that stupid. But then WWE has a habit of thinking the fans are stupid when they're clearly not and yeah. just trying to get away with that and it's like nah it doesn't work <laughs> John Cena is not an underdog at yeah. all yeah well Neil it's been an absolute pleasure as always and this completes our favourite match conversation and um, we look forward to having you on next time thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure as always thank you for listening to the podcast with me your host Darren. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the podcast. Thanks for your time. Stay safe and tune in next time.